Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for uh, being halfway through camp. Lord, with all that we've learned and all that we uh, still have to learn, we pray that you'd help us to uh, gather it in and hide it in our heart. Lord, that we might not sin against thee and that we may glorify thy name. Uh, be with Lori as she is doing the forum and all who would be hearing and participating. Lord, in work in all of our hearts. Through Christ we pray. Amen. When I first planned this forum, my original intention was used to use a chalkboard and a tape player. But then uh, my high-tech husband with his accomplice, my high-tech son, said, no, no, you got to use PowerPoint and you have to use all these things. I said, okay, but you better be here because I don't know what will happen. Um, now, see, I have to remember what I'm supposed to do here. <laughs> There we go. The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. This is a very famous saying, and it speaks about the powerful impact that a mother can have on the lives of her children and the world around her. I've always been on a personal quest, ever since we've had children, for the recipe for the perfect Christian family. You know, children, all of them serving the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, staying faithful to Him till the day of their death, finding godly spouses, having godly grandchildren. And, and I was always looking for this perfect recipe. I check the Bible. I've read books. I don't know how many books I have in the library, in our personal library on this topic. I've talked to older women, observed many families, probably most of your families here, I have observed and tried to figure it out. How did they do it? Sorry. <laughs> and what I found was kind of sort of unsettling to me. Um, there was no there wasn't total consistency. I mean, some godly families would have devotions around the table at night. There were other very godly families that didn't. There were some godly families where the mother was a sort of a quiet-natured woman, um, sort of meekly serving at home. And then there were other mothers with very godly families who were more vocal and outgoing and um, active in the teaching of their children. Then things got a little bit more confusing because I might stumble upon a great idea, like someone would say, here, try this Bible study book with your family. And I'd bring it home and I'd say, look, honey, let's read this um, Bible study book with our children. And he'd kind of look at it and think, no, uh, that's not exactly what um, I think I would use. So then my plans would be kind of disturbed again. So finally, um, a sister sort of summed it up for me one day. Uh, I attended the baptism of a sister and her two daughters were converted. And this sister uh, were being baptized that day, her two daughters. And this sister... I know was active in the teaching of her children. And so when I went up to her and said, so what was the secret of having your children convert? I was expecting the answer. And she said to me, it was by the grace of God that they were saved. And we know the Bible says, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So it really confirmed to me that although we can impact our children, it will only be the grace of God that will save them. And that is because if God gave us that recipe and we looked at it and we did it and followed it to a T and our children converted, then we could boast. And that would be against what God would want us to do. But we also know that the verse after says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And... Uh, we also know that grace and faith and works are intricately intertwined 
and they affect each other and they're needed together. So today we're going to be talking a lot about works, but we have to remember that these works will not save our children. It will be the grace of God, but they can help us to lead them closer to him. The format is, I'm going to first, I forgot my main thing here. <laughs> There we go. Um, I can sum up some of the essential ingredients in this phrase. A mother must be led by God, led by her husband, so that she can lead her children. And today I will cover each of those points. Led by God, led by her husband, so that she can lead her children. My job is going to share some verses and definitions with you, but when it comes to experiences, I firmly believe the verse in Titus 2 that says the aged women should teach the younger women um, how to love their husbands and love their children. And though when I was kind of telling this to my husband and he kind of looked at me and said, well, I hate to tell you this, but you're becoming one of those older women. <laughs> I found some older than me still, so I've asked them to help me out, but unfortunately some of them couldn't be here. One of the women that I would have loved to have speak died this year. Another woman was too ill to come. Another was caring for her husband. So I've asked some representatives to speak on their behalf, and that is their older daughters, who will then share some things that they learned from their mothers. And I pray that you can learn from these godly examples, like I already have begun to learn. First of all, a mother needs to be led by God. All right. That means she needs to be devoted to God. Just like Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, instead of busily hustling about um, listening to his words, we need to be totally devoted to God, acknowledging him in all our ways throughout the day. That means we need to be devoted to God's word. In Psalm 119.97, it says, Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. And if we want our children to love the Bible, we must love it. We need to be devoted to prayer. In Ephesians 6.18, it says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Praying in front of the children, with the children, for the children. I wasn't going to put this one on here when I originally set up the outline, but after talking to quite a few mothers, I found out that this one was pretty crucial, so I added it. Devoted to church attendance. Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. We must go to worship together with our families, even though it might be easier to stay home. And last of all, we need to be devoted in obedience to God. Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. If we live in disobedience to God, our children will see it. When we do disobey, we need to confess our sins and repent. The first testimony I'm going to share with you is from a sister in La Puente. Obviously, she's not here, but um, she's going to share about her mother, uh, Sister Tinka Nedelkovich, who died this year. And uh, this godly woman was such an example even to me. She lived with Vesna and Gary until she died. And every time we'd visit Gary and Vesna, I hate to say it, we'd sit and gab, and she'd be sitting on her chair reading her Bible. And Vesna said she wasn't always like that, but as she got older, she learned to appreciate God's word. And that was encouraging to me because so many times I feel like I fail as a mother. And maybe some of you are already grandparents and you think, what more can I do? But this woman, in her older age, really drew even closer to God and was such an example to her children and grandchildren. I am 
so thankful to God that he has blessed me with a godly mom who has been such a good example to me in many ways. And I am blessed perhaps more than most because my mom lived in our household until her last days. Mom was always busy doing things for others. I never understood how important this was for mom until I was much older and I started seeing my mom's health deteriorating in her last years. Sometimes it was painful to see her getting frustrated when, when her severe arthritis prevented her from doing her handiwork. I can appreciate more now what a great example of a Proverbs 31 woman my mom was when she was younger and always doing something with her hands. They were loving hands, but hands that never cried out for fame or recognition. Hands that never made a vocal sound, but always told us through the hard work they did how much she loved us. These were hands that baited us, hands that sewed us most of our clothes, hands that wrote letters of encouragement to family and friends, hands that kept the house and made dinner and kifle and much more. And they were hands that held God's holy word. I hope God never erases from my memory the familiar picture of my mom sitting in her favorite chair in her family room with her worn out Bible. She had kept the same Bible for so many years that the covers were literally torn off the binding, although she kept the covers too. She could read for hours at a time. What a great hands-on reminder to me, my husband, and our children how important it is to draw nigh to God through the reading of his word. Because of her example, I strive to put the good Lord and his word first in my life, spending time in daily devotional reading of the word, no matter how hectic and busy things get. Lastly, my mom's hands knew how to come together at the end of each day to start her prayer time with God. Her prayer life has been such a wonderful testimony and example to our family. Even when her day sometimes brought unsettling events provoking nervousness or frustration or anxiety, mom never went to bed without her usual tearful outpouring of the soul to her Lord. Earlier this year, the good Lord took her to her eternal reward. It seems so appropriate that she passed away peacefully in her sleep during a prayer surrounded by her children and grandchildren that she always prayed for daily. I miss her a lot, but I am also encouraged that mom lived to experience the conclusion of the matter like it says in Ecclesiastics, that she feared God and kept his commandments and now has his presence for her reward. By God's grace, I hope I can pass this torch down to my children. It's a beautiful testimony. And uh, she confesses that her husband helped her write it because he witnessed this too. Um, the second uh, person I have sharing is uh, Sister, ja uh, well, it's actually Sister Mary Dragolovich, but she's going to be talking about her mother, uh, Sister Yelitsa. I hope you guys can help me, uh, Nechikov. And um, I, t I asked Mary to speak because I thought, you know, this woman had 10 children, and I, I believe all of you are converted, is that right? That's pretty amazing. And so I thought, she must have done something right. And so I asked Mary to share um, a bit, and she is going to focus on devoted to church attendance. The two most important and her biggest impacts my mother had on me as a godly example of a mother was one, her exemplary example of faithfulness in her church attendance and taking us to church for every service. 
I'm sure at times it would have been much easier for her to just stay home with the younger kids and take her time preparing Sunday lunch for us or whatnot, or tiring, tiring herself bathing us Saturday evenings and getting us all ready for church. But she was so faithful in her attendance that um, it really had a huge impact on me. Um, she would get up early every Sunday morning to prepare a wonderful, delicious lunch for us, including homemade soup and, you know, a three-, four-course meal. And um, actually, after I got married and had to start cooking on my own, I asked her, I said, Mom, why, did, why didn't you ever wake us up and make us help you? And she said, well, dear daughter, I knew that when you get married one day, you're going to have to have that responsibility, and I wanted you to enjoy your uh, single days, and I, that really had a huge impact on me. And the second example, I I'll share the second example a little bit later. I asked a Sister Trudy Schlarb, and she was so excited she'd never been uh, asked to speak at a mother's forum before. <laughs> But uh, she agreed to talk uh, a little bit about her mother's uh, prayer and devotional life. Come on up. Or would you, I'd, if you'd rather speak there either way, why don't you just come on up? This, yeah. this is your chance, Trudy. <laughs> um, just to clarify, I was not really excited. <laughs> I was joking with Lori, though. I said it's about time you ask single people how to ask, how to tell mothers how to be a mother, because we know better, right? <laughs> okay, okay. Um, my mother is truly just such an example of faith to me, um, and and that faith, her deep faith in God, was something that every day was just such an evident part of our day-to-day -day life and it, it's it's still an example to me today and when I look at you know her having seven children how do you find time with seven children to devote yourself to God as well how do you find time to pray to to read your Bible but she somehow did and and she also you know found the time of course you know in in every day to pay attention to each of those kids to fulfill you know the needs that they had and um, I just want to make sure I don't uh, she she often told me that there were times you know in raising the kids that she just didn't have a clue how she should deal with a particular situation and she would struggle with that but always always take it to prayer you know in prayer to God and so many times, God would give her the answer. Um, well, every time, God would give her the answer on how to deal with a particularly difficult situation. And I remember growing up, um, of course, I rebelled and, you know, didn't want to, you know, do all the rules and stuff that they had in our house. And um, so, of course, you know, I got to be 16 and all my friends were dating. And I said to my mom, I... I want to start dating. Why don't you let us date? I'm not, you know, I'm not going to do anything bad, whatever. Of course, you know, that's what kids say. Um, <laughs> but, you know, and, and she said to me words of wisdom that have, that have stayed with me to this day. She didn't say, no way you are not going to date. She said to me, you're at an age now where I can't keep you from doing something you really want to do. But you know what we stand for. You know what we've taught you. And you know how much I love you. And if you do this thing now, 
it, it's going to hurt me very, very deeply. And it was because I knew her love for me was there, and she showed it to me all the time, that I just, I couldn't. I couldn't do that to her. Um, you know, sure, I did things she didn't know about, but I wouldn't blatantly, you know, say... <laughs> I'm not going to pretend I was just an angel because I wasn't, but um, I, I wouldn't blatantly just, you know, say, I'm going out tonight and I won't be back till who knows when. See you later. I wouldn't. Um, and it was her love um, that didn't allow me to do that. And another example that really had an impact on me was um, my, my brothers as they were going older. Of course, you know, they were going through their little rebellious stages too. And... Um, my, my one brother had decided, of course, he's going to go to camp, but he's, he was going with a friend from church, and um, his friend had decided to bring drugs to camp. Well, of course, I don't even know if my brother knew that his friend was bringing drugs. Certainly my mother didn't know. <laughs> but um, the amazing thing is, so they went off to camp, and God put just a huge burden on my mom's heart about my brother. And I'm sure she didn't know exactly why. Of course, she always had a burden for us to convert, and, and that was something that she desired for all of us, and we knew that. But um, he just convicted her during that whole week at campus. She was at home going about her work. He, he put this big burden on her heart, and she said it was weighing her down so much, and it was just about this one particular brother of mine. So... Um, you know, it, and that's very interesting to me because it's like you'd think, well, your son's going to camp, you should be glad, you know, but she was burdened. So she said she always found her solace in the garden. She was an avid gardener and still is, actually. Um, so she went out to the garden one day, and, and this burden was really crushing her. And she audibly cried out to God in the garden to just, you know, convict my brother and, and work, work in his life, to change his life at camp. And, um, and, and she said, when camp was over, my brother came home. The first thing he did is he walked down to the garden and he said, Mom, guess what? I stayed after Friday night and I counseled and I want to change my life. I want to become a Christian. And that was the turning point in his life. And, he, you know, so her prayer was definitely answered. Thank you. Um, the powerful impact of a mother's devotional life. Uh, secondly, we need to be led by our husbands. How do we be led by our husbands? Well, first, we need to help our husbands. In Genesis 2.18, it says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him help meet for him. God wants us to help our husbands. That's kind of interesting because I'm the one that always seems to need the help, though. But that's reverse thinking. Instead, I am here to help him. And we need to commit to help our husband and focus on him and ask of our actions, will they help or hinder my husband? Can I help my husband in his work, in his church ministries, in his witness to the world? And this is going to look different in every family because our husbands all need help in different areas. Some husbands are more organized. They might not need help with organization. They might need help with hospitality or the other way around. But we need to be here to help our husbands. Secondly, the Bible says in Ephesians 5, 22 through 24, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. 
Submit gives the idea of placing ourselves under the authority of another. And this is sort of in the face of our society today, which says that man and woman should be equal and have an equal role, especially when it comes to authority in marriage. But according to the Bible, God placed the husband and then the wife under him. And in this verse it says, we need to submit ourselves to our own husbands. That's kind of interesting. Sometimes we might be tempted to admire a spiritual man outside of our husband and want to submit to his ideas, but it says our own husbands. Or we might read a really good book and we think we should submit to what the author says. Or maybe we like what the preacher says, and although we need to obey our preachers and hopefully we have godly husbands who will support that, we are really to submit to our own husbands. And then it says, in everything which means there's really no option for disobedience to our husbands, including, um, especially regarding the spiritual training of our children, even if we feel differently about the issues. We have to trust that God gave us our husbands and that maybe his unique way of dealing with children that may not be the way we would think is um, that if we submit to him, God can use our submission as an example to the children. The Bible also says in Ephesians 5.33, And the wife see that she reverence her husband. In Proverbs 31, The heart of her husband does safely trust in, her, she, uh, trust in her. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. Respect has the idea of showing honor or esteem, treating him with deference or courtesy. Oftentimes we're more courteous to those outside of our home than we are to those in our home, and sometimes even to our own husbands. This means not downgrading him, not rubbing in his mistakes and openly criticizing him or disrespecting him. In order to be able to do all of those things, we need to be able to love our husbands. And in Titus 2.4 it says that they, meaning the older women, may teach the younger women to be sober and to love their husbands. This verse gives me the idea that it doesn't come naturally sometimes to show love to our husbands and we need to be taught this. I've asked Sister Mary Lou Zoig to share a little bit about loving and helping our husbands. It's on already. You just put it by your mouth. Can you stand up? <laughs> yeah, I like to see your shaking face. Shaking too much. <laughs> That's all right. I like to see your face. Can I hide behind you? <laughs> I. I must admit, when I got this email from Lori, I, she said, please give me your answer real soon. This forum's coming up. And I put it aside. <laughs> and I said right away, no, Lord, not me. And I couldn't answer her for a couple of days until the Lord worked on me, as she usually does. And uh, I must say that in thinking this through, uh, the thing that came up were all my failures. And I'm here before you today to tell you that I'm not the ideal wife, perfect mother. Uh, I have so much to learn. And I've been married 40 years. And I feel in a lot of ways I'm starting all over again. And why is that? And thinking about it, I think, oh, when you're first married, you're so in love and you're you're a couple and you're together and that's all you think about it. Your focus is, is always on each other and, and the world looks great and, and there's nothing you can, that can go wrong. And then pretty soon there's some bumps in the roads and then the children come and the focus of your prayers even is more on your children all of a sudden. 
and um, things get sort of lost in the maze. Where are my priorities now? And your life's change, your stages of your life change, and so I be became like Lori. I started looking for the perfect recipe. What do I do now, Lord? Where, where do I go? What is the right connection here, the chemistry, to make a perfect marriage? So I started reading some things. And one of the things that I found that really helped me come back to square one was that my husband is my spiritual head. And that hit me like a real whammy because I can't say that I grew up in an atmosphere where that was carried out. And um, deep down, I knew that something was missing, and I didn't want that to be missing in my life. And so in my reading, it said to pray for your husband first in your prayers. After you acknowledge who God is and, and what he's done for you, he is number one. He has to go out into the battlefield he has to go out and, and make a living for you and your children. And he's out there struggling away. You need to pray for him. Pray for his protection and that he can be used, that he can be strong, and he can come home and help you refocus with the children and the family. And so I began doing that. And it's amazing how during the whole day, if that's your start of your morning, during the whole day, things are in a better system, a better lineup. And then when he comes home at night, you get so in tune with how he's coming home. Um, I could tell sometimes after his beleaguered days how he shut the car door and how long it was from the time the car door shut till he got in the back door, what kind of a day he had. And I knew then how to meet him. Um, if things went bad during the day, was I going to throw the whole list at him? I realized that no, let him come home. And his, one of his big needs was to vent. He'd come home, he'd come in the door, he's not the husband who, who clams up. He's the husband who comes in and he puts his briefcase down and he tells you what happened that day. And sometimes I didn't want to really hear it because I was so overwhelmed with the pork chops that were burning or the children who were, had misbehaved or the washing machine that broke down. But I knew that he needed that time to be heard. And then when that was over, have a good meal ready for him. He needed food. My husband needs food. <laughs> Even my mother could tell when his level dip down, she would say, let's feed Johnny, he needs food. <laughs> so you need to get to know your husband, what his needs are, and being home uh, is, is a big thing. Even now, uh, he hates to come home to an empty house. And I didn't know why until one day when I came home, he was supposed to have been there, and he wasn't. It unsettled me, and then I started thinking, well, now I understand. He, he's coming home after a rough day at work. He wants us to be there. He wants me, the children. He wants his refuge, his safety net, to be there. Now, if I don't leave a note, he's on the phone to Amy Beth. Do you know where mom is? <laughs> and um, 
he reminded me at camp that if I would just leave a note, uh, sometimes you get out there and you're shopping and you'd say, oh, it's five more minutes, I could probably find what I'm really looking for. Oh, he might be home, should I leave now? And ah, just one more stop along the way. It doesn't pay, it's better to go home. Um, sharing the burdens. Um, I want to encourage each of you to allow your husbands to become what God really wants them to be. That is true love. That is not easy. Sometimes we have to put all of our needs aside and help him to become what God wants him to be in the church, in our home, in his individual life. And if we allow him to do that, support him in it, um, encourage him in it, share his struggles and his trials in it, I have found that he will love me, respect me, and appreciate me even more. Thank you. Now, I didn't, I'm not going to forget you, Leona. Let me tell you what I have to do. No. <laughs> That's all right. Well, good. We're going to hear it again then. But we have to help Sister Carol um, support and submit to her husband because she's teaching a class with him. So I am going to deviate um, a bit from my um, plan here, move on to the next few points, let Carol do her part so she can go and be a good wife, and then <laughs> we'll come back to you, uh, Sister Leona. Um, she's going to be talking uh, about submission and respect. But now that we've laid the groundwork, we're led by God, we're led by our husbands, we are now able to lead our children. When you go to the Word of God and look, about, look at all the verses about how parents and mothers are supposed to lead their children and all the practical hands-on things that we are supposed to do, the task, it's just, it looks so big and so hard. And so, although this list is going to be very long, um, I used it more as, instead of looking at it and just sort of just feeling down about myself, I looked at it as, as a goal. And, and maybe some of these verses will convict you, and maybe some areas that you're weaker in, I know it did me, to strive a little bit more. To lead our children, according to Proverbs 1.8, it says, My son, hear the instruction of thy father, forsake not the law of thy mother. And also Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7, it talks about teaching God's words when we um, walk, when we sit in our house, when we walk by the way, when we lie down, and when we rise up. And that's talking about teaching the word of God to our children, Bible study, Bible memorization. We also need to teach God's wisdom. In Proverbs 31, the first verses talk about um, King Lemuel, and he shares the prophecy that his mother taught him. And if you follow the verses, they talk about some basic instruction on the use of alcohol and some basic wisdom that a mom teaches her son. So we also need to teach God's wisdom. In Proverbs 13, 24, it says, He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. And we need to train our children. And a lot of that falls on us because we're home with them all day long. And especially when they're younger, a lot of the discipline will fall on us. I had asked Sister Evelyn Betts to share with us a practical example about teaching God's word and applying God's word in a practical way in her family's life. Well, she was not able to be here, so... I thought the perfect person to share the story would be Sister Carol, her daughter. Well, I gave her the story, and she said, 
I don't remember this story. And I'm thinking, oh, great. But then the more I thought about it, I thought, she does remember it. The story is about giving. And although Carol doesn't remember the specific story, she has learned to give. Because I know Carol and Bonnie and Marie are all have done a lot of uh, work with giving to those in need. And when you hear the story, you're going to understand a little bit um, as to why they're like that. It's an honor for me to represent my mom um, in this, and I'm glad to read this story to you. Um, shortly after we were married, Cliff began teaching Sunday school to the 12-year-old class. At Christmas time, he and his fellow teacher had the class help brighten a Christmas for some needy family. After a visit to the home to learn the needs and clothing sizes, we would shop and wrap the gifts. On the Saturday before Christmas, the class would bring items for the food box and then go along to deliver the Christmas cheer. Watching the unfortunate children unwrap their gifts was rewarding. Seeing how some people live was often an eye-opener for the Sunday school students who came from clean and comfortable Christian homes. The teachers had a budget for this project, and it was no problem as long as the building business was good that year. As a self-employed builder, Cliff never had a regular paycheck. He only got paid when he completed a job. So in between jobs, he had to always keep some money available to pay bills like health and liability insurance, social security taxes, and household expenses. When winter came and there was no inside work available, our family had to spend accordingly. One Christmas, while our three girls were still younger than 12 years old, it became evident there would not be any sure work until spring. A decision had to be made about how we could spend our limited Christmas budget. Should Cliff tell his Sunday school class that he could not afford to help a needy family, or could our family spend less on our gifts and spend no money on Christmas decorations? A family discussion was held, and our girls wanted to help by giving a couple of their used but good toys so that the family budget could also include the needy family. What seemed to be a dismal Christmas turned out to be a memorable Christmas. The even greater joy is today as we see the next generation living out their faith and willing to demonstrate their faith by loving works. James 2.26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. When Lori asked me to read this, I actually called home and I said, Mom, help me remember when this happened. And she pulled out a book. She kept records of every year that my dad taught. And I do specifically remember giving gifts to needy families. I remember going in the homes. I remember the smells. I remember her taking great interest in what the kids wanted for a special meal. I remember one time a little boy said, I want steak. You know, she was thinking ham or turkey. And uh, we, don't, we didn't eat steak. And she bought steak and had it frozen, wrapped it up, and gave it. And and was just a very giving person and, and really bent over backwards to make a special Christmas for a needy family every year. So when you feel discouraged, like the kids aren't listening and they're not getting it, just remember that they'll get it, Lord willing, one day. Now I'm going to go backwards and ask Sister Leona to share about submission and respect. She was so excited to do this topic, too. Eager. Yeah. Hmm? I have to hold on. 
Uh, I have to say I'm in Mary Lou's shoes too. I'm still learning, even though I've been practicing for 50 years. And God is still working with me, and he's not done yet. I've learned much, much at camp already. And I hope and pray that until the day I die, I will learn to be a better wife and a better mother. Uh, my topic was, is respect. I do the respect first. Um, from my experience in knowing different families, if the mother doesn't respect the father, the children will not respect the father, neither will they respect the mother, neither will they respect the teacher, the church, or God. The mother should really never criticize the father to the children or to anyone. Sometimes that's a difficult thing not to do because sometimes we get discouraged and we say, I don't know what's the matter with this man. Um, you know, is this really the way life is? Sometimes I've found that it's very helpful to talk to somebody older, somebody who's been there, and they will tell you they've walked this way and that he doesn't always understand himself why certain situations are the way they are. But we need to uphold them and to support them, and in time, we will see that maybe this situation had to occur so that he could become a better tool. And of course, if he's a better tool, that means more to God. And what a greater, there's no greater privilege than to help, but in that helping, we can also be helped ourselves. Uh, the next thing that uh, I was to talk about is submission. Uh, this, my husband is not a dictatorial person or a ruler or a boss. I mean, we have had a very even um, relationship. But there have been, I mean, I, I know that I always want to submit to him, but it's not by rules, you know, that I need you, you know, this is it and this is it. Uh, my one big experience that I would like to talk about is uh, when we made our move to Syracuse. I knew for many years before that someday we would have to leave home. And I always told God, I can't do that. I can't leave home. I can't leave my church. I can't leave my mother. But Bob felt that this is something we needed to do. And we prayed about it. And the Lord opened the way that he was offered a job so that he would have more free time. And I, I've got to pray about this, and I asked the Lord to give me a word. And he opened the Bible to me that said, 
Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. And I thought, Syracuse isn't the end of the world. It's not even an ocean between. As it had been for a lot of our parents, they had to cross an ocean to go where they felt the Lord wanted them. It wasn't long until, first everything seemed very good, and it wasn't long until we were going under financially. We were keeping two homes because we couldn't sell our house. Um, you know, there's almost, only so much coming in and double going out. It was the middle of winter. We had to heat that home. We were having a lot of company because we always, you know, whenever you're in town, stop over. And God forbid that you would ever say, you know, I'm really hard up. I can't do this. And the time came when Satan was so powerful that my husband said, I think we need to go back. He said, I can't see any way out of this problem. And I said to him, the problem is that you have never been poor. I said, I can remember having tea and jelly bread for supper, but my mother never, ever used the word poor or can't afford. Never. And I said, we prayed about this, and we were both convicted that this is what we need to do, and that God would give us the wherewithal that we would be able to submit to God, and that I could submit to him, and that he could understand that it was simply Satan harassing us and testing us to see if we would go through with our conviction or not, because our house was still available and my father-in-law was willing to pay the moving costs. Well, our house still wasn't sold in summer. The Lord provided that I could go back to my job for a month in Ohio. When I left, they told me that any time you come back to town, your place is still here. I was able to provide the things for my children that they needed for that school year. While I was there, we thankfully sold our house. We almost thought we couldn't because we had to hold a second mortgage. But somehow God provided. And I don't remember exactly the years, how many years it took, that we could say, or that Bob said to me, do you realize what has happened? We've been able to pay off our mortgage, and if we would have gone back to Mansfield, we would still be owing so and so much on our house. This is not, I'm not to say, I'm not here to say this to brag about what financial things did or are important but to say that if God wants you to do something and you follow him, he will bless it and provide for all your needs so that I could even leave my home and my mother. Thank you very much. We'll go on with leading our children now.
this one's pretty obvious. We need to provide for our children. In Proverbs 31, it says, She bringeth her food from afar, and her household, all her household are clothed with scarlet. We need to take care that the basics are provided. Now, most of us probably, I mean, I've seen most of the kids here are pretty well clothed and fed here at camp. But I have to admit, there have been times where I got maybe too caught up in maybe talking to somebody at church or doing this or that, that I forgot about giving my kids dinner or... Oh, it's their bedtime. So we need to be careful not to neglect the basics. And we also need to serve our children. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. We need to give because that is our role, the smile, the hug, the compliment, the listening ear. We need to give generously. For whatsoever a mother soweth, that shall she also reap. And give nothing, give expecting nothing in return. And I have Mary Dragolovich uh, also talking a little bit more about how her mother was very giving. Her unselfish and tireless labor of love and um, taking care of us as far as providing for our daily needs. Um, she never once made us feel like we were a burden to her. She grew up as an only child and ended up having uh, 14 births, live births, and 10 living children, and I can't even, it would just take too long to even share what all the things she provided just for all our individual diverse needs. Um, we would have to come home for lunch uh, while we were in school. We lived close enough to the school that we were not allowed to stay there, and she'd always have a hot meal waiting for us. Uh, we'd get home from school in the afternoon a few hours later. She'd almost every day have something fresh baked, cookies, pies, strudel, and I know that was not easy for her, and oftentimes on, uh, later in the evening, she'd sit, sit down and have a snack for herself. I remember um, an example of, she would eat an apple and we'd all be excited to help share in her apple because she'd take the peel off, and we thought that was the greatest thing. None of us liked the peel. So she used to go into the cellar and um, fill her apron with, you know, a dozen apples and sit down and we'd all stand around her and she'd, you know, unselfishly peel all these apples and give to us first before she would eat. And I just, that was such a good example to me. We also need to respect our children. In Proverbs 31, it says, She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. Love covereth a multitude of sins. Sometimes when our children are giving us trouble, it's so easy to want to talk about it to everybody and say, Oh, this is my difficult child, or and this is the black sheep of the family. And I know that we have to be kind of careful with that, because if our children hear us say that, uh, it's definitely not demonstrating kindness and love toward them. In Matthew 6:24, it says, No man can serve two masters. We need to be present for our children. And I know with uh, Mary's experience, if her mom was making strudel for lunch, she had to be home um, to do those kinds of things. And I'm not saying we all need to do that to make strudel, but we should be present and home um, and available for our children. We have to be careful because even in today's society and in today's Christian world, it's often talked about how mother needs to have her own time. And though that's true in a sense, we have to be careful because if we spend so much time for ourselves, um, we might be neglecting our children. 
So we should be careful not to be gone too much and be available for them. In Proverbs 14.1, it says we need to build our home. Every wise woman buildeth her house, but the foolish plucketh it down with her hands. We create the atmosphere. We set the thermostat. Here at camp, we're having this constant battle of the thermostat in our room. I'm freezing, and so I keep turning it up, and then someone else keeps turning it down. And at home, we the mothers set the thermostat. If we're warm and positive and loving, the home can feel that. But if we're cold and resentful and hostile, also that um, can be felt. In 1 Timothy uh, 4.14, it says, I will that the younger women bear children and guide the house. And that was a Canadian accent there. <laughs> I talked with Trudy yesterday afternoon. It must have got to me. <laughs> Anyhow, um, and that means that we are accountable for our house. And we need to act like we're accountable to what we do with our time while we're at home. And then it says in Proverbs 27.23, Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks and look well to thy herds. If we're supposed to be diligent and take care of our animals, how much more do we need to watch over our homes and our children? This is the idea of hedging about as with thorns, like a mother bird or animal might do to protect her youngs. Active, guarding, protecting. We need to watch what comes in our homes, what media comes in, people, attitudes, and actively replace the evil with the good. I have another sister from La Puente sharing about how her mother was a guard at her home in the sense of being very hospitable and making sure that her home was open to her children's friends and therefore she knew a lot more about what was going on. And I have Sister Sandy Folia and if any of you have been to California you've probably been at um, one of the Folia's homes I'm sure. One of the qualities I admire in my mom that I would like to pass on to my kids is her gift to hospitality. Our door, our door was always open. She would go the extra mile in her preparations, making sure our guests were filled and comfortable. This is a way she showed us her love for others. She would continuously give of herself without complaining, and she would do it happily. God wants us to be servants, and this is one of the ways my mom taught it to me. 1 Peter 4.9, use hospitality one to another without grudging. 1 Peter 4.10, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. And lastly, Psalm 113.9 says, He maketh the barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. And I put this last because sometimes life can get so serious and we need to remember that our homes should be filled with joy. And when I was young and single and traveling, I remember going to a home, and whenever we went there, we'd all sit around the table and just laugh and laugh and laugh. And so I thought to myself, this is a joyful place. And any kid, no matter how rebellious they might be, would want to come back to a home where there was laughter and joy. So I asked uh, Sister Trudy to come and share a little bit about how her mother instilled that spirit of joy. By the way, Lori, a Canadian accent is a good thing. <laughs> um, it, my mother, of course, through her faith in the Lord, she was able to always emanate the joy of the Lord in our home. And, you know, both of my parents certainly had a good sense of humor, and that seemed to be passed on to, to all of us. So, um, dinner time at our house was quite often just a lot of fun and I think um, you know my mother certainly 
um, promoted that. She was never one to say the kids are being too loud and too noisy, stop that, you know. She, she thought it was the greatest thing if we were being loud and laughing and having a good time. And I think that has stuck with us as we gotten older. And as Lori says, uh, we, we often had friends over. I can't imagine what it did to my mother, but I think almost every weekend when we were teens, we had visitors from somewhere, and um, that's what we would do. We'd sit around the table and just um, have, have a lot of fun. Another way um, I think that my mom tried to promote that is by not allowing us to have a television when we were young. Um, I think she felt that that would cut into the family time. And certainly I think because of that, we became closer to each other and we looked to each other to provide that entertainment that we weren't getting with television. Um, and uh, my mother also um, indicated her joy just through her singing. Um, certainly when she was younger, her and her two sisters used to sing in a trio and um, she has passed that legacy on to us and uh, as most of you know I also sing in a trio with my sisters and um, the joy of music is something she's passed along to us. Um, certainly they encouraged each of us you know to learn any kind of musical instrument we were interested in to sing and um, in our home as we were growing up there was these Friday night music nights happening um, and that was where um, my brother played guitar and some of his friends from church played guitar also some played violin um, they'd come over like every Friday night we'd have guys over you know people over that you know could play instruments and we'd have music night around the piano um, and that's that's something that really um, promoted joy made us want to be at home not away um, and you know really made Friday night something different than what our friends were doing so I thank her for the joy she's given us well, there you have it. It's not perhaps a detailed recipe, but I think I've shared a lot of the ingredients that are common in godly homes and the ingredients to being a godly mother. A mother must be led by God, led by her husband, so that she can lead her children. And though the methods of each of our examples varied, this quest shows me that God can use human mothers with a wide variety of personalities and ways of doing things to lead their children to the Lord as long as they're willing to submit to his words and his ways. Thank you for coming. And at this time, I can't take any questions because I have to go pick up my son. Um, but I'm sure maybe today as you're visiting with one another, please feel free and share about some of the things that uh, we've learned together and maybe we'll be able to talk later.